This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is a uh, very dreary, rainy day in uh, in Denver today, but my my heart is warmed by this little throwback intro to the show before the show podcast because it's just me and Sam Dykstra. No, no shot at Ben Hill. I'm not you know. I'm just saying. Just we're throwing it back to an older era of the show before the show podcast. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Yeah, we sent uh, Ben as physically possible, as far as yeah. physically possible away from me. We ejected uh, him across the country. Yeah, across the continent, even. Yeah, because he, you know, ended the trip uh, north of the border. Uh, yeah, just so we could have this moment between me and you. So, how are you? How are things? You know, things yeah. are all right. It's uh, you don't like talk I said, enough, it's... just me and you. Anyway. Yeah, I know. We uh, we used to we used to have our our weekly visits, and now Ben's in, and you know, we got to stay all guarded. Uh, you know, can't you can't let your emotions. We show. can't express our true feelings, and I right. have a lot of things. Right. I need what's to get going on? Too. You know, the, our Diamond Dogs meetings. Uh, if you're a, a Ted Lasso fan. Uh, no, man, things are, things are good aside from the, the chill and the rain today, but I'm actually very excited about it. Cause I've, you know, I've reached my mid thirties, uh, some might say late thirties. Um, uh, but I, you know, have a house that has a front and a backyard. I'm like very, and I think part of it is due to the fact that I worked in minor league front offices, but I'm like very into making my yard look really nice. Like I really, I've been so inspired by like the groundskeepers that I've been around in my life. Uh, you know, like. Uh, Chris Ball, affectionately known to everybody in the minor league world as Butter. Uh, Butter was our groundskeeper in Myrtle Beach. He won like, I don't know, 10 straight Carolina League Field of the Year awards. I remember when I first got a house with a yard, I texted Butter and I was like, I'm going to be texting you constantly to ask you about yard advice. But I like did some yard projects this week. I put down some... um, some grass seed or like some spot, you know, um, rejuvenator, we'll say, uh, that has like the seed and fertilizer and whatever. And you have to water that stuff constantly for like two, three weeks. You have to water it twice a day. But today it's just been raining the whole day. That's delightful. So I'm just like looking at, I'm like drinking my coffee, looking out the window of the grass seed. Like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Yeah, just looking up at the heavens, just being like, God has the sprinkler today. Keep it going. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. Um, So that's what's going on in my world. Uh, My name is Tyler Mom, by the way. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Uh, What about you, buddy? How's how's things? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any grounds to keep, really. I have my apartment in Brooklyn. And uh, actually, it's funny you say that. I came back the other day and my landlord had decided to just take out an entire bush in the front yard. Okay. So I was like... This is this is where I live, right? Like, new. This is so bare now. Uh, but my key worked. It was where I live still. That's so good. That's good. Um, but yeah, no, things are good. It's uh, it's really starting to feel like spring here. And actually, I was talking to our, you know, Kelsey Hennigan, our friend Kelsey Hennigan and coworker about this. And she was saying the same in California where everybody's so quick to be like, oh, it's got to be summer so fast. Like, yeah. How did this happen? It doesn't feel like that here in New York. And it doesn't yeah. apparently feel that way in California. Like, yeah. Let's appreciate spring while it exists. Like, yeah. The, the dog days of summer are going to come. 
I do love um, that it's like the know. first moments of spring where you smell uh you know we have like dogwood trees in the uh or cherry blossom trees both in the park by my house and like when you first when I first walk by them with the dog and you get that whiff it's just oh that's the best man that right. that is a spring appreciating moment I'm a big fan I know and I know and I know this is like Oh, look at you guys just talking about the weather. Like, this is what happens when you catch up. No, like this is actually, you know, it has minor league yeah. ramifications. Yeah, exactly. Like, every oh. day, a minor league front office somewhere is concerned about the weather. Is and, dealing like, with a rain situation. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's pulling tarp. About, like, yeah. If, if it's 57, are people going to be coming out versus if it's 65? Exactly. Like, you no, know, like this is all very apt stuff for the industry. There we go. Um <laughs> we welcome you into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. We got a lot coming up for you today. In case you did not notice uh, via us pointing it out. No Ben with us in uh, in a live context this week because Ben is on the road, has been on the road through the Pacific Northwest. Very exciting stuff, but we got uh, a lot of stuff from Ben, which we are really excited to bring to you. Uh, you can get in touch with the show, of course, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, give us your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns, everything else. Um, we've got some prospect news that we're going to get to, uh, one massive promotion in particular. Uh, but before we dive into that, we're uh, going to talk about some prospect news in the world of rankings. There's a new top 100 on the way from Sam Dykstra and company at MLB Pipeline. Um, Sam, what's the biggest highlight? We're only a month into the season, but obviously we see in that first month uh, a lot of uh, changing of spots, whether it's guys climbing with early season success, guys falling due to injuries, et cetera. Uh, what are the highlights on this new top 100? Yeah, so um, what Tyler's talking about there is we are doing a market correction. So that's what we call it internally. Uh, for MLB Pipeline. Actually, as we speak, I was having meetings with uh, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, who do the top 100 with me, on where to slot guys, where to move them around. We don't do a complete new top 100. We're not voting on the top 100 all over again. The way we like to do it is we do actually vote on the top 15. Um, we do redo that version. But then from there, it's only move guys 10 or plus, 10 or more spots in either direction. We're not trying to like fiddle with a guy who's 47 and move him up to 45. We're trying to adjust for trends we're seeing early on. Some of those are injuries, like guys like Daniel Espino with the Cleveland Guardians uh, undergoing shoulder surgery after barely pitching last year. Like some of these guys it, with their injuries, it's tougher to swallow. When are we going to see them again? Kate Cavalli undergoing Tommy John surgery. Like it's tougher to say they're a top 50 prospect in baseball if we're not going to see them again until 2024, which sounds like a crazy long way away, but that's just the reality for some of these guys. So adjusting them. But so you're asking about like what's going to be the headline? The, the headline's always going to be who is the number one overall prospect. That's what everybody looks at. That's why you're clicking the button. You're trying to figure out who we're going to put at number one overall. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to give you who it is now a few days early. These should be coming out uh Sunday night or early Monday morning, depending on when you check in on MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, but there is a legit debate right now in, in the game. I mean, we've gone through this year in and year out. Right now is no different. We had graduations, obviously, at the beginning of the year with Gunnar Henderson and Portman Carroll and Francisco Alvarez is, is graduating this week. So he was our number one overall prospect. He's going to be bumped off the list. He's not being considered on Sunday. So you look at who's left, 
and who's going to climb into that spot. And for us, I think it comes down to four players, really, who you could debate as the number one overall prospect in baseball. It's Jordan Walker, who obviously got off to a hot start with the St. Louis Cardinals, but was sent down to AAA Memphis for various reasons. I think the primary reason is his outfield defense. He still needs to grow into that. But you have to remember, like, when he made his major league debut, he was the youngest player in the major leagues. He was the first player born in 2002 uh, to appear in the show. So it's always going to be a level of adjustment for Jordan Walker. We know he, the bat has power. We know he can hit. He's hit everywhere. I mean, and that really includes the, the major leagues when he had that hitting streak. Um, I know they want him to work on his launch angle. He hits the ball on the ground a little bit too much. But still, he's very much in that discussion for number one overall. Jackson Churio, anybody who listens to this show knows I'm a large fan. Only 19 years old at double A, one of the youngest players at that level, once again to begin this year. It hasn't been the greatest start. But again, considering like he would have been a draft pick last year, he's already at double A. It's it's kind of crazy um how quickly he's risen and how loud the tools can still be, even if we're seeing them in shorter spurts this year. I think the big one. Uh, is Jackson Holiday of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Jackson Holiday has already climbed to high A. I mean, the the Orioles gave him some time at single A last year, coming off the draft, the number one overall pick. Uh, they gave him a long time in big leagues for training this year, and a lot of people thought he really held his own there, both from a temperament standpoint. Um, guy knows his way around a major league clubhouse, obviously, through his father. Uh, but also the way he looked on the field. I mean, he played a very natural shortstop. He's going to stick there, I think, uh, so long as there is room for him in shortstop in Baltimore. Baltimore. Uh, But the bat has certainly played early. He's already hit a few high A home runs. Um, The power, I think, is going to be the last thing to come for him, but everything else is there. Uh, So now all of a sudden we're talking about a guy who's moving through the Baltimore system quickly in a system that really knows how to develop hitters. I mean, look at Gunnar Henderson last year. Look at what Adley Rutschman is now. Look at guys like Colton Cowser and Joey Ortiz and Jordan Westberg. Like they just know how to develop hitters in that system. Heston Kerstad is off to a great start. Um, So you can even project that a little bit forward. We don't always take into account system, but like Jackson Holiday is a legit contender to be the number one overall prospect, if not this round. Maybe he is. Again, we're like, we're still debating this. Uh, if not this round, maybe the next round of market corrections or when we do a complete revamp in the midseason. Uh, we'll see where he stands then. And Ellie De La Cruz, who you know, this week showed off why he is maybe the most exciting prospect in the minor leagues. Uh, he had one game for Louisville in which he had three exit velocities above 116 miles an hour. No major league team. Never mind, like individual player. No major league yeah. team has ever had that in the Statcast era. I mean, it's it's crazy. And he was doing it as a switch hitter. He had exit velocities above 116 from the left side and the right side in a night where he had two homers and a double. It was just insane stuff. We know he can throw the ball hard as well. He he's very much of that O'Neill Cruz kind of starter kit that everybody likes to talk about. Um, they're very similar profiles. Being a shortstop, I think. You know, everybody wanted to move O'Neill Cruz off shortstop at some point. Is Ellie De La Cruz going to be a long-term shortstop? We'll have to see. The arm, I think, could play at third. It could play in center. They might put him at second base. They have Matt McLean who's off to a good start. Anyway, the big thing with Ellie De La Cruz is he chases a lot. He's going to post strikeout rates above 30%. That's just the way he is. Do you believe in the other tools? Do you believe, like, multiple top-of-the-scale tools outweigh a 45 hit? even as a switch hitter, 
If you do, then you probably think he's number one in the game. I, I know a lot of fans who like to, you know, scout from the couch uh, in some way, or when you get to watch him on, on TV, might think like, hey, listen, this guy's great. He's got superstar written all over him, and he does. He has the highest ceiling, but that strikeout rate just gives me pause uh, and keeps him in the debate. It, it is not number one with a bullet for Ellie De La Cruz. So those are the four guys we're talking about, I think, as chances to be number one overall. Again, check back in with us on Sunday night or Monday morning, uh, depending on where you are, and you can find out where we landed on those four and so many more, like guys like Daniel Espino dropping um, and some of the other names that we're trying to figure out based off of the early returns. All right. Well, based on uh, that type of prospect ranking excitement, you would uh, be somebody who uh, could be forgiven for your levels of excitement over one of the most recent prospect promotions. And that is Yuri Perez, the Miami Marlins prospect who is going to make the jump all the way from double A Pensacola to the big leagues at 20 years old. He turned 20 less than a month ago. Uh, Yuri Perez, 6'8, 220. Um, JJ Cooper of Baseball America pointed out that he is the youngest pitcher uh, to make a starting pitching debut. Uh, in the big leagues since uh, Julio Arias did it back when he was, you know, known as the teenager to all of us, of course. Um, the stuff from Yuri Perez is ridiculously good. His numbers have been fantastic so far, obviously, at Pensacola this year. Six starts, 2.32 ERA, 42 strikeouts against nine walks and 31 innings pitch. He's got a whip of 0.81. Opponents are hitting 148 against him. He's done everything right, but this is a very aggressive promotion. He is slated to get the ball on Friday for his first major league start. Uh, Sam, your reaction to this move from the Marlins? Yeah, I mean, I think it's notable maybe like who he's pitching against on Friday. <laughs> it's the Cincinnati Reds, and he's pitching at home. I wonder how much that has to do with the calculus of like, it's a home start, which is good. You can get comfortable. You know that you're going to be here for a while, or hopefully you're going to be pitching here for a while. You're not having to adjust to road life, all that kind of stuff. It's against the Reds, who we know aren't one of the best teams in the major leagues um, and are off to a you know a rough start in their own way, being 15 and 21. You look at where the Marlins are right now. They're in this, they're in second place in the NL East at 19 and 19, as we're recording this on Thursday. They have a really bad run differential, but like if you have any hope of maybe clinging to a playoff spot for the Marlins. Like, bring up Yuri Perez. Like, let him pitch. Let him see if he's a big piece of the puzzle this year. Yeah. And, Tyler, you mentioned all of his numbers. Like, he he was certainly aiming for a promotion. I thought he was going to go to AAA, obviously, just because of how young he is. Uh, but when a guy's ready, a guy's ready. And when a superstar is ready, you know it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to put this level of expectation on him. And it's definitely a different front office now than it was at the time. But, like, the Marlins are are the organization that promoted Jose Fernandez very aggressively. Um, you know when you have a potential ace and you know when guys can be pushed. Thankfully, Perez doesn't have to be that guy. Like, they have the reigning NL Cy Young winner in Sandy Alcantara. Like, he doesn't need to be the capital G guy on day one. He can kind of find his way. Uh, but when you look at the depth chart right now, it's, you know, it's probably true. Even if he hadn't pitched a triple A yet. He's one of the best, five best starting pitchers in that organization. Uh, so if you want to have any hope of staying afloat uh, in that NL East and in that wild card picture, bring up the Bing Guns. And he's certainly that, you know, with his fastball, uh, you know, being 70 grade, his changeup might be even better than that. He's six foot eight. So sometimes it just looks like he's panning the ball. 
to the catcher. I mean, it's it's crazy extension. You mentioned the stat about him being the youngest pitcher uh, to make a debut since Julio Arias. But I also talked before about like Jordan Walker was the first 2002 born player in the major leagues. Perez is going to be the first 2003 born player. Yeah, I'm really not. This is the first kid that I could look at and think like, you know, if I had made some extremely difficult, different choices in my life, this could be my child. He was born uh, a month, like almost exactly one month before I graduated high school. Yep. I mean, that's not. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I, and I always enjoy people like going through that journey on their own uh, when they realize like, oh, no, this is like coming for me now. And like, it never gets better. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it only gets ever... worse from here on out. Yeah, I'm still clinging to I'm clinging to very few big leaguers. I'm like, come on, hang in there, Joey Votto. Uh, it's like <laughs> the very few guys now that are still really, really good at baseball when they're healthy in his case uh, yeah. and uh, and are older than me. I'm just like, man, I'm begging him to hang on. I don't think Nelson Cruz knows how much pressure is on his shoulders. Yeah, that is, is true. I'm saying. That is very true. It's, Every year know, he comes we, back and we feel so much better about ourselves. And we don't live in an era with like a Nolan Ryan or a Julio Franco or or somebody else who's going to be playing until, until they're 47. And, uh, and that, well, I mean, Nelson Cruz could be that guy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. So, you know, keep it going, Nelson Cruz. Yeah, Ben's not on the podcast right now, so I'll just say it. Let's bring back Jamie Moyer. Yeah, why yeah, why not? Maybe more could give you six innings right now. It He's would be... probably throwing the exact same velocity now that he was at 35. So, you know, just let's go I'm for just it. just saying. It's worth a shot. Um, but anyway, so that it's going to be fascinating to see what he can do immediately. I mean, we've seen some guys come up and do really well. Like Bryce Miller for the Seattle Mariners uh, came up straight from double-A. Different scenario. He's older than Perez, but he also doesn't have the ceiling of him, and he's extremely fastball-heavy. He knows what works for him. And he's done all right for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Brandon Fought of the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, who was last year's minor league strikeout leader, has really struggled so far for the D-backs. I don't think stuff-wise. I think he's just hitting too much of the plate, and major league batters hit those for home runs. I mean, that's just part of the learning process. So we'll see how this is going to go. But I- I'm fascinated by the decision. I love it. I love the aggression. I love that Perez has definitely earned this opportunity. Uh, and I can't wait to see what he does on Friday and you know, hopefully moving forward. I don't think this is going to be a one-start situation for him. Um, I think you bring up a guy like that, especially with the video that they had. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, Tyler, when they, you know, obviously it's a big thing now. Yeah, it's very when cool. a big prospect gets called up, you film uh, when he finds out. But in this case, they, they did that at Pensacola, uh, and it was actually Sandy Alcantara getting to tell him through a video message. And also jabbing him at the same time. He's like, I've got bad news. I'm going to have to see your face every day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like what you and I would say if all yeah, of a sudden pretty we much. got called yeah. up to the majors at the same time. That is um, absolutely true. But it, it was perfect. It was it was a perfect big brother, little brother moment. Uh, or in this case, big brother, big brother, because they're both extremely tall individuals. <laughs> uh, well, some very cool stuff for uh, for the Marlins and for Marlins fans. And um, with that, we uh, we are going to head out to the West Coast and catch up with our pal, Benjamin Hill, who has been traversing the wilds of the Pacific Northwest. He ventured uh, to a place where he needed his passport. Uh, he got a chance to, to check out uh, some big league action with uh, your pal and our pal, Eric Mertens, Eric the peanut guy. Uh, we're going to hear from Ben, uh, and Ben is going to talk to a couple of Arizona Diamondbacks prospects, and all of that is coming up on this week's episode of the show before the show next. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, greetings. This is Ben Hill, a.k.a. Ben's Biz. Your friend, your enemy, your pal, your confidant. Talking to you from Owen Beach within, I believe it's called Port Defiance Park in Tacoma, Washington. I am uh, here on Wednesday in the late morning, and soon we'll drive to Vancouver to see the Canadians in Nat Bailey Stadium and finish up my first road trip of the season. Here's a recap. It started all the way back, not that long ago, but on the road every day. It feels like three days, so it feels like very long to me. Uh, started on Friday morning with a 3.45 a.m. wake up in Brooklyn in my apartment, lift to JFK, flight to Salt Lake City, and then a connecting flight from Salt Lake City to Eugene to see the Eugene Emeralds. It's really surreal on these travel days. I landed in Eugene at like 11.50 a.m. ahead of schedule. But to have it be morning, and uh, I've already been awake for something like, I don't even know, eight hours at that point, nine, and somehow I'm all the way across the country in Oregon. Start the road trip. My plan was to spend Friday and Saturday, May 5th and 6th, with the Eugene Emeralds. Uh, Got to the rental car counter. And uh, first they offered me a pickup truck, and I'm like, no way, fella, no way. Ben's Biz doesn't do trucks. I'm a down-to-earth guy. I want to be low to the ground. Then all they had was a Camaro, so I took that. That sounds kind of fun, you know, driving a Camaro around, but, like, my ideal road trip car is, a, like, a Ford Focus or something like that, uh, something I just feel comfortable in. So I'll tell you what, when road trips start, that's the, about the lowest I feel in my professional life at any given time. Just because all the anxiety of like, oh man, what am I doing? Here it goes again. Is this going to work out? I've been doing it a long time, but it never feels good. And I'm all sleepy and jet lagged and in a Camaro. And, uh, you know, got to push through, got to push through. So check into my hotel in Eugene, wander around the downtown a little bit, which seemed you know, surprisingly desolate for a college town on a Friday afternoon. You know, like a lot of cities, a lot of people with you know, mental illness and drug addiction, um, in, in the downtown. Um, so that was just part of the experience for sure. Uh, got some tacos, fast forward, eventually made it to PK park home of the Eugene Emeralds. I'd last been there 11 years ago in 2012. And, uh, so it was a course overdue for a visit. I've known their general manager, Alan Benavides for a long time. Uh, we hadn't communicated too much before the trip, but as soon as I arrived, he's like, yo, what's up? Let's go. And then basically for the next two days, I felt almost embedded in the front office, just uh, just there within the team's operation. That Friday was uh, really bad weather. And of course, I'm getting the rec- requisite hard time from the team. Like, why'd you come to the Pacific Northwest in May? And my response to all that all the time is like, look, I got to come somewhere. And if you're operating, I want to be there. To me, I don't. sometimes the, the quote-unquote best nights are the worst nights for Ben's Biz. Um, you know, like a sold-out fireworks middle of the summer night. Everyone's busy. There's not enough room to move. 
Um, I kind of like the, the down nights, as it were. Not that I seek out rainy and cold nights like it was on Friday. But anyhow, that was a good night. You know, PK Park is interesting. You know, it's it's located in the shadow of Autzen Stadium, the home of the uh, Oregon Ducks football program. And uh, the ballpark is run, owned by the University of Oregon. So it's always been a bit of a you know an awkward relationship with all the logistical hurdles when you share a ballpark with a university, and that of, of course is you know been magnified since the Emeralds uh, shifted from Class A short season to High A uh, starting in 2021. So now the first two months of the season for the Emeralds are also Ducks baseball season. So you know there's a they got to you know totally clear out of the locker rooms after every homestand. You know pack everything up, put things in storage, uh, be just totally clear for the the baseball program. This Friday game didn't start until 7.30 because the university has access to the field until 6 o'clock Monday through Friday. So just that sort of thing. There's, you know, a lot of logistical hurdles. And because it's still Ducks baseball season, there's not really any Emerald signage around the ballpark. It feels much more University of Oregon than Eugene Emeralds. But, you know, the Emeralds, they've been around since 1955. They got a good front office staff. They find their way to put marks on things. And uh, they certainly did the next day. I mean, that first day, Friday, I did some interviews, talked to some interesting people, uh, you know, got good content. Lots of content. That's what we say in the biz. Had some loaded brisket fries, but Saturday was Exploding Whales Day. Uh, so earlier in the day, I went to the Eugene Saturday Market. If you're ever in Eugene, you know, that is a huge, it's like a farmer's market on steroids, on, you know, organic, healthy, vegan steroids. Um, you know, so lots of food, but also, you know, music performances, arts and crafts, uh, all sorts of things like that. So that was cool to get a taste of Eugene that way. I was driving around with uh, Alan, the general manager, quite a bit. Um, you know, just making the sort of game day errands that you make in, in minor league baseball. Going to a FedEx store to uh, print out copies of uh, pictures of Paul Lindman, the reporter who did the original Exploding Whales story in 1970. He was going to be at the ballpark that night. Uh, you know, the Exploding Whales, we've talked about it a lot. But again, if you don't know what it is, in 1970 in Florence, Oregon, a whale, a uh, sperm whale, washed up on the beach the town did not know how to remove it and uh, the idea was hit upon to blow it up so then it would be be in smaller chunks and like the birds would eat it but they used way too much dynamite and uh you know there was a an explosion of blubber that landed as far as a quarter mile away uh some of the blubber smashed a car in the parking lot and, uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, this is like the first viral video, this news report that Paul Lindman uh, put together in 1970. I saw it for the first time in college, you know, a little over 20 years ago. Loved it then. So it's surreal to me now to be a minor league baseball writer covering the exploding whales and having Paul Lindman be at the ballpark. Not only was Paul Lindman there and I interviewed him, but the sons of the man whose car was uh, destroyed by the whale, they were at the ballpark. Um, so that was really cool to interview them and uh, also interviewed the grandson of George Thornton uh, who was the engineer who oversaw the demolition and you know that had been a sore spot for the family for a lot of years the way he was portrayed in that video and uh, you know kind of seen as uh, you know the butt of a joke essentially but you know he had a long distinguished career and he had his side of the story with the whole thing and um, you know so it was interesting to get that perspective as well so I got a lot of a lot of great perspective on the exploding whales and it's going to take me quite a long time to put it all together make sense of it all 
uh, but it was great to be there for Exploding Whales. The team is selling the merchandise like crazy. Um, they can't keep it in stock, and it's been, you know, great source of revenue for them. And, you know, so popular, just a running joke that they're just going to change their name full-time to the Exploding Whales. At one point, I suggested, you know, to a bunch of people in the front office, you're just going to have to start staging an Emerald's throwback night. And, you know, they all laugh because that's kind of what it feels like right now. The focus is on the Exploding Whales. So it was great to be there in Eugene for the Exploding Whales. Uh, from there, went to Hillsboro. Hadn't been there for 10 years. Uh, Ron Tonkin Stadium, home of the Hops. They're actually getting a new ballpark uh, in 2025 right across the street because even though Ron Tonkin, uh, their current ballpark is only 10 years old, uh, you know, it was built for a short season club and before all the uh, PDL, uh, you know, facility requirements. And, you know, what I was told is that it's going to be, um, uh, don't, don't people know that Ben's Biz is recording an audio segment? This is very, this is very rude. Leave me alone, everybody. Anyhow, um, yeah, it's great to be back in Hillsboro and uh, be at that ballpark for the first time in 10 years, and it'll probably be the last time I'm at that ballpark because there'll be a new one soon. Uh, I was told that it would cost more to renovate their current ballpark than to build a new one. Uh, in Hillsboro, I spent time with the Hippity Hop guy, a uh, you know, uh, one of the super fans you meet in minor league baseball. He said he's distributed approximately 1,500 rubber chickens to fans in the stands over the last three seasons. Um, there were definitely just the sounds of rubber chickens squeaking uh, throughout the ballpark during the time I was there. Um, I interviewed the mayor of Hillsboro, Steve Calloway, who's like the Hops' number one fan. He was the first person to put a season deposit on, uh, you know, on season tickets. Uh, when the team first uh, announced they were coming to Hillsboro, he said, look, he was in city council at the time, and he said, look, I have to put my money where my mouth is. Sits in the front row with his wife every single game. Super nice guy. Uh, interviewed, well, no, we'll get, to, we'll get to that later, what else I did in Hillsboro, real quickly. And the Monday, it's an off day in minor league baseball. I drove to Tacoma, and Tacoma, I met up with uh, Eric the Peanut Guy, who we recently, Eric Martins, who we recently featured on the fans episode of the podcast. Uh, you know, I've known him for, for years through Twitter mostly. We had met for in person for the last time in 2016. But the Mariners were home. He's a big Mariners fan. You know, we're friends. And uh, so I met um, Eric in Tacoma as soon as I checked into the hotel. And basically, we just drove right to Seattle. And he, uh, you know, gave me the Mariners game experience. So it was really cool to see a major league game in the midst of this minor league road trip. Uh, I got a Seattle dog and a gluten-free bun. What makes it a Seattle dog, really, is essentially the clean, cream cheese on the bun very good stuff uh the game just flew by especially with the pitch clock started at 6 40 it was a pitcher's duel uh logan gilbert for the mariners took a perfect game in the seventh inning but then rangers scored a couple runs one two to one it was bizarre to be at a major league game that ended around nine o'clock but really enjoyed that ballpark seeing the views uh learning about the history uh, getting eric's perspective on the whole thing you know really good times and then tuesday i was in tacoma where i still am right now I uh, went to uh, Cheney Stadium, built in 1960, oldest ballpark in AAA. You know, low-key Tuesday night, but beautiful weather, good energy. Uh, got some good material there. Um, I don't have to talk about all the material I got because, you know, it'll come out later. Uh, but I did talk to Chester the Usher. who's a guy who's about 79 years old, originally from Brooklyn, big, big Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And uh, he's just a beloved usher, the kind of people I always talk to at the ballpark. He brings a vintage newspaper 
to every homestand to share with the fans who sit in his uh, section, which is like the dugout seats right behind home plate. So the one he had on him when I interviewed him was like a sporting news from 1957 about the All-Star game with like Stan Musial in it and all this stuff. So always great to talk to people like uh, like Chester the Usher and to be in Cheney again. Cheney. I always want to call it Cheney, but it's Cheney Stadium. Um, so really, really good times there. Um, and, and good times everywhere. You know, the stress slowly starts to dissipate as I go through a trip. Uh, I try to see things outside the ballpark, but, you know, between doing work, just staying on top of the logistical details, trying to get some sleep, etc., etc., etc. I feel even this little audio memo, I'm already up about 12 minutes and I want to cut it off pretty soon. It could go on for hours. There's just so many little stories that happen. Like in Tacoma yesterday, Mayor Steve Calloway from Hillsborough, I was on the concourse trying to get a picture of Epic Sax Gorilla, as one does, and as soon as uh, Epic Sax Gorilla went away, Steve comes up to me, and at first I don't recognize him because I'm in Tacoma, and he, uh, you know, I met him in Hillsboro. I mean, I recognized him. I, I knew he was a guy I just met, but I didn't make the immediate connection. And he hands me a bag with two kids' books for my son featuring Barley, the Hillsboro Hops mascot, and says, you know, these are for Harry, because I told him about Harry when I interviewed him. And then he just walks away. I'm like, what a, what a kind gesture that was. You know, the road is filled with those little things and meeting people. And uh, I don't know if he came to the game just because I was there to give me those books or he was planning on it anyway. But, yeah. Got to say, I don't know too many actual mayors. I know mayors of ballparks, but I don't know too many actual mayors. But that was really nice of Steve Calloway. And so on and so forth. So I did get a recommendation, I think, uh, through Eric the Peanut Guy's cousin who lives in Tacoma to come to Owen Beach, and this is a good spot to be at, you know, beautiful natural landscape. There's a a mountain to my right, which I have to assume is Mount Rainier, imposing. There's water right in front of me, which I have to assume is a Puget Sound. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't know geography. I just know that America has a lot of beautiful locations within it, and uh, it's always nice to see them. So anyway, got a lot of material from the road to share with you in the near future and otherwise. Uh, But for now, how about a pair of interviews with two Hillsborough Hops pitchers who both are video game obsessives. Connor Grammis is 47th ranked in the world in Pac-Man. So he's a vintage guy, and we'll hear from him first. And then uh, Dylan Ray is big into Rocket League, which is essentially soccer with cars. So um, maybe after this, uh, these two interviews, Sam can talk about you know, who they are on the playing field, and I think they're both pretty highly ranked prospects. But from my perspective, I talked to Connor and Dylan about video games. So please enjoy. Ben's Biz from Owen Beach in Tacoma, Washington. Over and out. I'm here with Connor Grammis of the Hillsboro Hops. In addition to being a professional baseball, working his way through the Arizona Diamondback system, he has a special claim to fame in the clubhouse and in life. Ranked 47th 
at Pac-Man. Is this 47th in the world? This is, so this is 47th in the world on a arcade system. So the way Pac-Man works, like you can play it on your computer, technically I guess, and there's different uh, modems for which you can play it on. But what I have is like the, the 1981 um, actual Pac-Man arcade game. So I'm ranked 47th on that out of, yeah, probably about 200,000 in there. Wow. And um, by the arcade game, you mean like the stand-up console? Because I know there's also those ones at the bars where you yeah. sit in the seat, but this it's, is... It's a stand-up console, yeah. It's a little smaller. It's probably about probably about five, four or five feet high, something like that. But yeah, you said it's a little arcade game. Yeah, so Pac-Man came out, I don't know what exact year, but over 40 years ago. It was decades old even by the mm -hmm. time you were born. Uh, definitely a retro game. How did you get into Pac-Man? So my dad was a, he was a big Pac-Man player. I won't say a big Pac-Man player. I know he was when he was a kid, but we had like a little Pac-Man set up um, when I was a kid and I, we used to watch him play all the time. Um, and I had, I got hurt a year ago, so I purchased a house down in Arizona. I was just kind of looking for some stuff to make it a little more homey, you know, some cool stuff. Um, so I ended up buying uh, an arcade machine and just got really into it, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Had a stretch there where I was probably playing, I mean, I know this is nothing in terms of video game terms, but like, you know, two to three hours a day for, you know, probably that whole year that I was down. So, started getting pretty good. Yeah, and as an athlete, as a professional athlete, does that mentality carry over uh, to the console? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I take it pretty seriously, to be honest. And there's been a bunch of guys that over time have come over and, and played and got their name in the ranks, but um, yeah, man, it's fun. And I'm, yeah, I take it pretty seriously. Yeah, so obviously, you know, you, you were aware of Pac-Man growing up. You're probably always pretty good at it. But at what point did you cross over and saying, like, so where am I on a, so, glo a global stand? So how it works, the only reason I know that is how it works is anybody who's ever had the system that I have, you can put, you basically have to put your username in it. It ranks all the scores. So, like, the first game I played, like, you, you play one game and you're automatically on the board yeah. somewhere in the line. So the first game I ever played, I don't know, I maybe scored like 2,000 or something like that. And I was probably like 150,000th or something like that. And slowly as you get better, uh, you break your high score and then it shows you where you are. You break that high score, it shows you where you are. You just keep moving up, man. Keep going until number one. Yeah. Might be a while, but yeah. keep going. Well, it's a, it's a simple game, but at the same time, I'm sure complex in terms of learning the patterns and the yeah. exact routes. Sure. Um, you know, what advice would you give to, you know, amateur or aspiring Pac-Man players? Yeah, I would say there's nothing, like, you have to just play, you know, because you start to recognize patterns in their routes and, like, you know, the most efficient ways to go. Um, but, yeah, there's no other way to do it other than just commit yourself to the Pac-Man. You gotta commit. <laughs> and uh, what's your best game of all time in Pac-Man? My high score right now is uh, 105,000. 105k is my high score, which is yeah, 47. In the it's so if you go off of all the different devices, I think I'm like 400th, maybe something like that. Um, but again, that includes like any any kind of modem that you're playing the Pac-Man on. But 47th for like the actual arcade system. Now I'm sure a lot of uh, your teammates and guys you play baseball with your life are into video games, but mm -hmm. probably video games of. Uh, you know, their era as opposed yeah. to a dad's era. What's, what's the uh, kind of clubhouse take on you being so good at such a retro I game? I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely um, the black sheep of the group in terms of like the video games I enjoy. I don't really enjoy like, you know, the PS5, that sort of thing. Not to say that I don't like it, but you know, it's just not really my thing. Um, 
So yeah, we don't have, there's not a whole lot of competition here. We don't have too many guys who are into that sort of thing. And I wouldn't say I'm like incredibly into it until I got it, now I'm pretty into it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's cool, it's a unique thing. And uh, maybe somewhere along the line, everyone else will come along, hop over to the good side. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. And uh, are there other games besides Pac-Man from that era that you... Yeah, yeah. So it's a 12-game system. I mean, the two that I really play are Pac-Man and Galaga. Pretty good Galaga player. Um, I, I mean, I have two extra rooms in my house, so I'm always renting them out to friends. So um, I can't really say anyone that's lived with me that hasn't gotten at least pretty into either Galaga or Pac-Man yeah, at so, some point along the way. So line. you're spreading the gospel. I'm spreading, right. yes, precisely. I'm doing what I can to spread to spread the word. Yeah. So I'm sure you hear all the time people asking you about your career and when do you expect to move up and all this. But I'll ask it from the video game perspective. 47 is awesome, but that also means there's 46 people better than you. Yeah, it's this competition is getting pretty stiff. I think the the all-time best record for this system is like 300,000, which is a pretty big jump. I mean, it's pretty big. So I don't. It might take us a while to get there, but you know. Yeah. Slowly working our way. Unfortunately, with something like Pac-Man, you have your whole your whole life. Yeah, exactly. I got plenty of time, so there's no rush. Well, I think that's about all I have from a Pac-Man perspective, but there's anything you'd like to add, anything I missed? Um, no, man, I'm, any... just, I'm an advocate for it, you know? Hop on the train. <laughs> all right. Get on his Pac-Man level, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you move up the leaderboards. Sounds good, bro. All right, thanks, man. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. All right, so, yeah, so here we're here with Dylan Ray, the Hillsboro Hops. Talk to your teammate, Connor Grammis, about Pac-Man earlier. Yeah. But you've got a whole different video game skill set. It is Rocket League, and I know nothing about it, so you have to inform me, and I'm sure other people out there, what is Rocket League? For those that don't know, Rocket League requires much, much more skill than Pac-Man. <laughs> uh, it's a game... It's car soccer is what it's called. It's a ball, you score it into the net, but you are you have a flying car that you use and you can fly around and, and hit the ball with the teammates, like 3v3 or 2v2. Uh, but yeah, I have like almost 2,000 hours playing this game. Wow. Uh, pretty big waste of my life, I'd probably say. <laughs> um, so it's not just a skill that I had. You, everyone starts bad at the game. Yeah, but it, two, just take, it just takes hours and hours of practice to be good at. Yeah, 2,000 hours in your place. So do you play with teammates? Or you Is there like Rocket League competition yeah, among so, the team? So I played with a couple buddies in high school. And one of my buddies actually is way better than me. And he uh, actually has like a state championship for esports in high school from playing Rocket League. <laughs> and was like asked to be on the collegiate team at the University of Alabama. So he backs up for them. So it's like a it's like a whole community. There's esports. People make tons of money doing it. It's it's like a sport. So my goal is eventually to you know try to be professional. Uh, it's yeah. never gonna happen just because I don't have enough time to do that. And I mean, there's a lot of people better than me, and I'm still in the top probably one percent of players. And I I would consider myself 
not good at all compared to them. But when I play with some people, they think I'm legendary. At it, so. <laughs> so car soccer. So do you have the same car you always use? Do you get to upgrade your car as you keep getting better? How, so all the cars, uh, most of the cars are pretty much the same. Like the hitboxes on the car, like the, the ball actually hitting the car are slightly different shapes of the car. Uh, so you can choose which one you like. You like a flatter car, like a more bulky car, or like a you know, smaller, more, it feels more agile, but they move the exact same speed. So it's really just preference. So, you know, so it's fair for competition for all the cars to be the same speed, a little bit different size, that kind of thing. What's your Rocket League car of choice? Uh, my Rocket car of choice would be the Octane. But every now, if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Most yeah. people wouldn't buy it. No. Uh, there's a, the Finnick and the Octane, uh. just completely designed cars by it. Uh, Psionics is who originally owned the game, but now Epic Games does. People that own Fortnite bought it, so, yeah. Nice, so, um, yeah, 2,000 hours, you still playing as much as you always have? It's, it's Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. I've been playing probably since my junior year of high school. <laughs> wow, so. And so, I play pretty much every day still to this day. Um, so the hours are gonna keep climbing, unfortunately. Um, my <laughs> fiance would probably say they need to slow down a bit, but, yeah. you know. But you're not willing to yet say that you have a Rocket League problem or anything like that. Uh, I wouldn't call it a problem. <laughs> I'd just call it a hunger for success. <laughs> yeah, hunger for success. That's what motivates you as a professional athlete. It's competitive, athlete. man. Like, yeah. I'd just like to compete. You play baseball to compete. I get home and want to compete some, with something. And Rocket League is... I get more adrenaline from playing 2v2 Rocket League than I do playing baseball. Yeah. It trains your brain for the mound. I like to think of it like that. <laughs> so you're out there on the mound yeah. and you're bringing the energy from Rocket yeah. League. So like, I'm thinking like a zero second, like zero seconds on the clock. I got to score a goal in Rocket League. That's way more pressure than pitching, pitching <laughs> a game out here. Like, right, so you have a good perspective on all this. Yeah. Have you ever thought about you know being like, you know, Bo Jackson was famous for football and baseball. You can be famous for baseball yeah, and Rocket baseball League. baseball and Rocket League. Uh, if I could pick one to be a professional, I'd be Rocket League. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, no, no. I'm joking about that. I don't know. I but, do, I, yeah. but you clearly have a love for both. And uh, to kind of wrap it back up with what you said in the beginning, this is just clearly a better option than then you got teammates playing Pac-Man and the old school guys. It's, yeah, no, it's no competition for you. See, a lot of people are soft because they play Rocket League one time and they, they never play it again because they're bad at it. So, like, guys that are good at Rocket League, you got to really give it to them because it takes thousands of hours to be good at it. Yeah. Like, so. I, I, don't, I don't know one person that has 500 hours that's really good. Yeah. Like, you play 500 hours, you're going to be just okay. Yeah, so. Most games, if you play 500 hours, you're better than pretty much everybody yeah but you got to be elite and so what to, to wrap up what you've done at Rocket League is more impressive than being 47th in the world at uh, Pac-Man 100% <laughs> I would say being a grand champion in Rocket League is more impressive than playing minor league baseball <laughs> well that's a great way to sum it up man thanks for informing me and I'm sure others about this uh, wonderful game called Rocket League I, I'll have to check it out myself I appreciate your time thank you This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, 
Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One had real potential in a bygone era. The others haven't yet come to fruition. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Moscow Timberwolves. B. The Monterey Bulls. C. The Paris Lakers. You've made me say ooh la la if you picked C. The Paris Lakers who sank and swam in the très romantique city of Paris, Illinois throughout the 1950s. With a new ballpark on the banks of the Twin Lakes just north of town, the club was the beneficiary of a $20,000 fundraising effort from local fans and had as its president Raymond Massey, a Paris attorney and minister. It was a choppy inauguration for the Lakers in 1950, as Paris went through three managers, guillotining Earl Skaggs and Vaughn Price before finishing the year with John Morris at the head. Yes, those semi-headless Lakers wound up looking waterlogged with a 43-75 and record, well below the thermocline and in sixth place in the eight-team Mississippi-Ohio Valley League. Who got the Lakers off the bottom? Why, it was Tom Sunkel. Born right there in Paris in 1912, Sunkel pitched 63 big league games between the Cardinals, Giants, and Dodgers from 1937 to 1944. Sunkel rose to the challenge of his first managerial job in 51, leading the Lakers to a winning record not only in 51, but again in 52, and into the MOV League Finals in 1953. Sunkel's Lakers drifted in 54, finishing 58-68, and 16 games behind the Decatur Commodores, who'd torpedoed their title hopes the previous year. Paris bid adieu to Sunkel for 55, and at season's end did the same to the whole league after a 62-64 and finish under skipper Richard Regazio. Was this the end of the ball club? Au contraire. In 56, it was bonjour, bonjour, bonjour to the Midwest League, manager Marty Pirtle, and the club's first and only championship, with third baseman Tex Golson leading the loop with 30 home runs. There was no Arc de Triomphe to come, however. Although the Lakers stayed afloat for the next three seasons, they looked a bit rudderless and lost a five-year affiliation with the Chicago Cubs. And the head of the 1960 season, the Midwest League went through a bit of a shakeup, adding new Quincy and Davenport clubs. Michigan City and Paris were invited to stay in the circuit, but on the condition they find new parent organizations. Neither did. And that's how the Lakers dried up. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these loudmouths made a ruckus in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Mount Vernon Vehemence. B. The Waycross Blowhards. C. The Cozad Shouted Outs. 
Want to know the answer? Speak up. Or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is on the way back from the Pacific Northwest, and I've got to warn the railroad bulls. Josh Jackson back on the show. Everything feels right and normal again when we get another visit from the maestro of Ghosts of the Miners. Um, we also uh, have to send our huge thanks to Ben Hill. Not only did Ben um, get a couple of interviews and have some fun with him, but got some interviews with some actual prospects too. Those are those are not just dudes kicking around in the minor leagues. Those are guys that the D-backs are pretty excited about. Yeah, and and, and I really enjoy that like those were interviews that only Ben Hill can do. Here, here's two dudes who just yeah. love video games. Meanwhile, I would talk to both about very different things, which is fine. Like, that's good. I love that we have that perspective on the pod. But you mentioned Tyler, and Ben threw this out during his segment as well. Dylan Ray and Connor Grammis are both legit prospects within uh, the D-backs organization. We have Dylan Ray at the number 23 spot in the D-backs top 30. He was their fourth-round pick last year uh, in 2022, pitching at Alabama. Uh, fastball, curveball, slider, changeup guy, mostly really good on the slider. Uh, it's telling that they sent him to high A at the beginning of this year. 32 strikeouts and only three walks in 24 innings. So he's somebody you kind of circle of like, all right, the stuff is really playing so far at high A. How quickly does he move up to double A? And if that happens, you know, you start to think, okay, this guy's probably going to climb into the teens. That, that slider can be that good. Uh, Connor Grammis is somebody we've been following for a while now. Uh, in the Arizona system, fifth round pick back in 2019 on a pure stuff level, like almost as good as it gets in that system. I mean, his fastball 70 grade, his curveball can be above average. His slider is really good as well. He has a real true field of spin, um, but he's gone through many injury issues. He's never pitched more than 25 and a third innings uh, in the D-back system. He's opening up this year at high A. They've officially just made him a, a reliever. That's just who he's going to be. And in that typical way of like throws hard, spins hard, he has also walked four guys in six and two thirds innings. So it's really going to come down to control. But, you know, if he finds any modicum, even just like slightly below average control, he has back end of the bullpen uh, potential. So uh, really excited to get those two guys on, get some different perspectives as only Ben can do. And uh, yeah, keep a uh, keep an eye out on both of those guys, Dylan Ray and Connor Grammis in the Arizona Diamondbacks. System. All right, Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV as we dive into the weekend? Yeah, so I mentioned before uh, Ellie De La Cruz and what he's been doing so far at AAA Louisville since he came back from injury. Uh, that Louisville team is actually really stacked and, you know, nothing's official yet, but I might actually be in Louisville next week. Uh, so tune into those games. They're all going to be televised. They're going up against Jacksonville. I was kind of hopeful that Yuri Perez would actually be promoted to AAA uh, so we could get some matchups of Ellie De La Cruz versus Yuri Perez. That would have been amazing, but good for Yuri. On to the majors, not going to complain. But, you know, we talked a lot about Ellie De La Cruz before. Matt McClain has put himself right back on the map, uh, hitting 336 through 34 games. He's got a significantly better slugging percentage than he did last year. He's slugging 696. He has 11 homers in 34 games. Um, he went deep 17 times last year. So if he continues on this pace, he's almost certain to surpass that unless he gets called up to Cincinnati as well. Christian Encarnacion Strand is also off to a hot start. I mean, that's a, like as loaded an offense as you can find at the AAA level, and the tools are there to back it up. 
So tune into any Louisville matchup you can, uh, but keep an eye on my Twitter account for if I am in Louisville next week, I'm going to tell you guys all about it uh, and where to find that and when we will be there. But make sure you'll you watch any game they have because it's possible Ailey Daily Cruz is going to hit a ball at 118 miles an hour and just like break all of our brains as well as Stackhouse. It was just pretty cool from night to night. Um, I'm going to the double A Texas League this week. Uh, Wichita and Frisco squaring off. And in addition to the amount of talent that's already on that Frisco team, uh, and and as well on the Wichita squad, although maybe not quite as talent laden as the Frisco team, uh, a couple of big leaguers who are going to be rehabbing in that series, one of whom is still a prospect. Royce Lewis only played a dozen games last year uh, at the big league level. Uh, for the Minnesota Twins towards ACL. He's been out of action since June, but he will be back rehabbing those 12 games he played at the major league level, really, really tantalizing with what he was able to put together. Feels like we've been waiting on Royce Lewis to arrive forever, and Royce Lewis is still only, I think, 23 years old. Um, so this is uh, the start of his return uh, to the big leagues, and presumably we could see him back in Minnesota with the Twins, I would say, probably by the, the beginning of June. Uh, Corey Seager is also going to be rehabbing in that series, uh, or is expected to rehab in that series uh he's been out for the last month with a hamstring strain for the rangers uh but those teams are just both stacked with talent especially uh frisco so you can tune into that one uh on milb.tv and uh that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show huge thanks to all of ben's work on the road to josh jackson for swinging by the d-backs prospects for hanging out with us as well and uh for sam dykstra my name is tyler mon we'll catch you next week